Hey, what's up, everybody? Nick Hall. We're out here on Winter Jam. It's a 48-city tour across America. We're halfway into it. Man, keep praying that God would reset America for Jesus. We're at the Georgia Dome. 32,500 people came out. Unbelievable, man. Every night, thousands of kids giving their lives to Christ. And I just want to encourage you. Your prayers are working. Each night we hear stories of students and just people coming, dropping things off, razor blades, objects of self-harm, letting go of addiction. A couple weeks ago, a dad came up to me and said, Nick, two years ago, we were at Winter Jam and my teenage son gave his life to Christ. And he came up to me and said, Nick, as a dad, I want to thank you. I've seen my son's life transformed. Tonight is not about a list of things you need to do for God so that you can be good enough. Tonight is all about what God has already done for you. We're seeing the stories of these kids, not just a one-night emotional response, but literally the life change from the gospel. It's happening. You are a part of it. Let's keep going. All right, so I want to encourage you guys to come out tonight, and uh, if you need earplugs, we can find you some as well. So it'll be good for everybody. Well, hey, listen, uh, man, I'm just excited to be here and excited to join with you guys this morning uh, on behalf of just this tour. Um, man, we're so grateful to be in the Cleveland area and uh, we're just uh, blessed uh, to join in what God's already doing. Uh, I lead up a ministry called Pulse, uh, which is an evangelistic movement uh, based in Minneapolis. And uh, we got 27 people on our team and we're a, a young team just literally going after this generation. We want to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. And uh, man, we're just grateful to be here. And so I, I want to begin us with a word of prayer. Is that all right? Let's just pray and uh, ask God. God to speak through his word and through his spirit, and uh, just that that would bring about life change uh, in our midst. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. God, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. God, thank you, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit, God, is here, God, that, that Jesus, you promised, Lord, that, that when you died and when you rose from the grave, Lord, that you would give us your spirit, Lord, to be with us and to lead us and guide us. And so, God, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word, through your spirit, God, that you'd meet us right here. God, that you'd change us and ignite us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, all right. So this morning I'm talking about uh, being willing to do whatever it takes when it comes to reaching people who need the gospel. Now, just a little story to begin with. In the 1940s, uh, there was economic depression. There was a uh, world war. Uh, and there was spiritual decline. People love to say that back in the day, we were more religious. Back in the day, we loved God more. Back in the day, it was different than it is today. And while that may be true to, certain, uh, ex- to a certain extent, the reality is that no matter what back in the day you want to look to, there was brokenness, and there was self-centeredness, and there was a deep need for the transformation of the gospel. In fact, nowhere is that more true in the last century than in the 40s, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In fact, so many people talk about the spiritual decline at that age in America. God was being kicked out of schools. People weren't putting their trust in Jesus. In fact, when people came back from the war, uh, it was very common for couples to not even be uh, monogamous anymore, but actually to exchange partners and all 
all kinds of things that were going on. In fact, I was at the, the Billy Graham headquarters uh, just this last week for a board meeting, and, and this gentleman in his mid-80s was, was recalling uh, just the desperation and the state of affairs in our country. And in fact, when I hear these things, it, it encourages me in a certain way to say, man, what's happening today has happened before. And in the 1940s, a group of young people rose up and they said, man, we need Jesus. You see, the truth is that when it is dark, that's when the light shines the brightest. And when there's brokenness and issues, that's oftentimes when God wakes his people up to realize that our only answer is Jesus. You see, in times of prosperity, in times of blessing, you and I, we tend to put our trust in that prosperity in that blessing. You see it throughout the Old Testament. Every time the Israelites would find God's favor, they would turn inward or put their trust in other things and then they would go back into captivity and then they would remember again, God, we need you. And here we are today needing God. That's how it was in the 40s. And these young people gathered across America in Cleveland and in Detroit and in New York and in Chicago and in Minneapolis and Philadelphia and Los Angeles and literally a movement. Man, there wasn't celebrities that were a part of this movement. Yes, we know of Billy Graham today. But in the 40s, this was just an organic movement of God saying, man, we want to be a generation that is all in for Jesus Christ. We're going to be youth for Christ. In fact, out of that movement launched ministries and expressions of Christianity that repainted Jesus to the world. Out of that movement came Campus Crusade and Young Life and Navigators. Out of that movement came World Vision and different acts of justice and acts of sharing the gospel. And in fact, today we live in an age where we're still seeing those expressions communicating the gospel, movements that launched 60, 70 years ago. In fact, last fall I had the chance to go with my wife and baby boy and spend some time uh, with Dr. Graham at his house. And man, we were just there for, you know, an hour, hour and a half and like just talking and praying. And I went in with this long list of questions because, uh, you know, since I was 18, I felt God's call on my life to preach the gospel and God's call on my life to be an evangelist, which was a really weird thing. You know, like you're, you're supposed to be an evangelist. At first I was like, God, I don't want to be an evangelist that's weird you know all i could picture was like people with big hair and gold encrusted things behind them asking for money you know i was like i don't want to be that but then like i found out about billy graham and i read about him and i was really inspired by this guy by his life by the simplicity and in fact the thing that encouraged me the most was he's just this dairy farmer kid from north carolina who people wrote off and said he's unlikely that he can be anything and today again we remember him as this great guy but in fact, I believe one of the main reasons God chose to use him was because he was just a normal guy. You know, and so for me, that actually encourages me. I'm a kid from North Dakota, you know, and uh, and people don't think anybody lives in North Dakota, right? And uh, we just got electricity last year in North Dakota. That was exciting, right? And so it's just kind of God loves to use unlikely people. And in fact, as I gathered with Billy Graham, I said, you know, Dr. Graham, I said, as I read your life and your story about how you and a bunch of others came together and gave your life for the gospel through Youth for Christ and then through your organization, I said, what's the secret? You know, what would you tell someone who's in their late 20s, early 30s, you know, going after this thing? What would you tell a teenager? What would you tell a parent? And I got out my notebook and I'm ready. Like, this is going to be awesome. He's going to tell me the secret. You know, I'm getting ready to write like a novel, right? And he's like, Nick, here's the secret. And I'm like, oh man. He's like, you need to pray. I'm like, okay, what else? 
<laughs> you know, he's like, that's it. He's like, Nick, we were a part of a lot of great things. And as you, if you guys know, if you've ever watched uh, anything about his life or studied, and young people, I want to encourage you, go home and Google Billy Graham and read about the stories of how God used these men and women in that generation to change the world. But he said everything we were part of, whether it was launching ministry through television or through media or going into communist countries or the doors that we needed God to open, he said every door was open through prayer. He would say, Nick, prayer is the secret. Prayer is where we get our boldness. Prayer is where we get our answer. Prayer is our direct line to God. And this morning as we're here talking about doing whatever it takes, I want to say that the foundation of our movement and the foundation of our faith when it comes to living out Jesus to the world starts and ends with prayer. I was in China last fall. I got to go spend time with, uh, with in fact, it was leaders from the Communist Party leaders from the underground church and leaders from the, 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 the three self church movement gathered together in one room. It was crazy. And in fact, they were there talking about different movements around the world. And, and I was so struck by the prayer movement happening in China. And in fact, so many of the Chinese leaders would say, pray for us as we grow as a movement. Pray for us that we don't put our trust in ourselves, but that we continue to keep our trust in Jesus. And in fact, if you look at global movements in history, you see that when God launches a movement of prayer, in fact, that is God preparing for a movement of his spirit. It's like God is laying the railroad tracks. And just a bit of encouragement for you, uh, I'm friends with the leader of the National Prayer Committee in the United States, and he says that the undis- uh, undisputably, right now in America, there's more prayer happening than has ever happened in the history of our country. And again, if you study history, that should fill you with great hope and excitement to say, God, what are you preparing to do? Because where the prayer movement begins and launches, the God movement begins and launches. And where the prayer movement dries up, the God movement dries up. And we're here this morning saying, God, we need you. If we're going to be a people that does whatever it takes. I want you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark and uh, reading about this experience that Jesus has with these four guys that bring their friend to Jesus. And these four guys, to me, embody this kind of whatever-it-takes mentality that I pray would be our mentality. And I pray it's the mentality of my life and my team and my family in Minnesota. And I pray it's the mentality of our tour as we're out with Winter Jam that we're truly all in saying, God... Wherever you want us, however you want us, God, whenever you want us, we're in, we're in. Mark chapter 2 begins like this, we're going to go to verse 12. It says, a few days later, Jesus entered Capernaum and the people heard that he had come home. Verse 2, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I want you to catch this verse 5. Don't miss this. These guys lower their friend on a mat through the roof. Verse 5, it says, Jesus saw their faith. It reads like he's seeing the faith of these four friends. He saw their faith and then he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Some, now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately, it says, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, son, get up, take your mat, and go home. So this man got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Don't you guys love God's word? Does anybody love it? Man, I'm telling you guys, uh, so many young people come up to me and they say, Nick, I have a hard time reading God's word. I have a hard time spending time in God's word. And I'll be honest, sometimes I have time, like just with the discipline. But man, every day I need to spend that time. You say, why? I mean, it's a, it's a discipline. It's an exercise. I need to pray. I need to spend time in God's word. I need other people in my life. Man, these are just the things that I know about myself. If I don't have these as a foundation, I don't have much to stand on. And honestly, when I talk to a lot of students, I'll say, you know what? Uh, I'll give this illustration. I'll say, I found out this incredible thing about my iPhone 5. And people are like, you know, well, does it work for an Android phone too? Yes, this is the best technology. You need to learn this. Lean in. Don't miss out. And you know, like, if you're a young person, you always want to know, like, the coolest new thing, technology, whatever. I say, check this out. I found this out about my phone. If I don't plug it in, it doesn't work. Right? And that's typically the response I get. People are like, you're dumb. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of foolish and simple, isn't it? I said, listen, my phone was created to do incredible things. In fact, some of the best technology ever has gone into making these devices. But guess, guess what? If you don't plug them in, they don't work. Right? And I'm like, man, why do we think that we're any different? God's created us to do incredible things. In fact, it changed the world. But if we aren't plugged in, we got nothing to offer. So how do we plug in? We spend time with God. We read his word. We spend time in prayer. We ask God to fill us up. And then we go out with that power, being the people that God has created us to be. Now, I love this passage. I didn't point this out in the last service, but I just love this. I love Jesus. Man, Jesus is it. You know, if you're here and you're like, man, Christianity, I don't know what I think about Christians and they're mean and the church. And maybe you came in today and you're like, I don't know. I got all these viewpoints about it. I just encourage you, look to Jesus. I was hanging out with a, a guy who uh, grew up in a Muslim country in, in, in Kos- uh, and he grew up in Kosovo. And, and in fact, he, he was saying, he's like, you, you Christians, he says, you Christians, you, you love to hog Jesus. <laughs> you know, and he says, you know, he's like, nowhere in Bible do I read Jesus say I am Christian. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he says, I want Jesus too. <laughs> you know, I want Jesus. I need Jesus. I want to put my trust in Jesus, son of God, savior of the world. He can lead my life too. Yes. And I said, yes, he can. <laughs> and, uh, but listen, I mean, Jesus is the game changer. Right, he's the one, and he's powerful, man, I love this in the story, Jesus comes in, and people are standing room only, packed out, waiting for him, he's preaching a message, all of a sudden these guys come and bring their friend, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he does the most supernatural thing that, that God can ever do, forgiving sin, 
right? The guilt, the shame, the pain, the angst, the burdens that we come in. Even if some of you maybe came in here this morning carrying with you what you did last night or last week or last month or last year and it, 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 it kind of suffocates you. Jesus has the power to release that. He has the power to break that chain, that cycle, that addiction. He can do it. And the religious people are sitting there like, man, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is blasphemy. And I love Jesus' response. He's like, you know, they're thinking it. I mean, can you imagine if your teacher or you know, your pastor could understand what you were thinking? Man, he's really boring right now, right? Like, whatever it is. Why do you think I am boring? You know, like, what would that be like, right? Is Jesus', is Jesus power, the only way he can is like, you say who can forgive sins but God alone, right? But just so you know, who's got the power? Stand up and walk, right? And he's like, boom, come on. I mean, Jesus, he's Jesus, I mean, what else can you say about him? His name is Jesus. Hello. He's here. He's powerful. You know, I was a, a college student up in North Dakota, and uh, and on our campus, we were watching brokenness and despair. In fact, there was suicide and, and substance abuse and all kinds of pain. In fact, launched out of a college movement, which, in fact, has been why the last couple of years we've been praying with leaders at Cleveland State here, praying for a move of God along with them and praying for just evangelism and prayer and revival. And, and we're committed to this along with these uh, friends that we have here in the city. And, and for us, man, we were praying and we were saying, God, we need you to move. And man, I'm going to be real. Like when someone tells me we need to get out there and reach people who need Jesus, most of the time I'm like, that sounds scary. You know, like, I mean, it's like Pastor Kevin stands up and he's like, hey, you need to go into your workplace and tell somebody about Jesus. And people in the workplace are like, does Kevin live in the real world? <laughs> like if I go to the workplace and tell people about Jesus, it will be no bueno for me, right? You're like, hey, you need to go into your schools and tell people about Jesus. You're like, do you tell people the schools? Like, they will unfollow me on Twitter. It will not be cool, right? This is not good for my status. And this is kind of how we respond, right? Our natural response when we hear these things we need to do is fear. It's anxiety. It's excuses. We come up with a long list of reasons of why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I won't. And a lot of times it's like, no one else is doing it. Why would I do it? I'm not a professional Christian. <laughs> this isn't my job. I'm just an amateur Christian, whatever that means, right? I'm just trying this out. But like, man, I can't do this. And yet in God's word, God makes it clear. He doesn't give us fear. Amen. It doesn't come from God. Anxiety and stress and excuses. Those aren't from God. Those aren't from God. In God's word, it says he gives us power. In fact, Jesus, if you will look at a study and say, look at the disciples before the Holy Spirit, and then look at the disciples after the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's a pretty radical thing. And I sometimes wonder like, okay, which one of the disciples do I most fit with? Do I fit with the disciples who are scared and hiding? Without the Spirit? Or do I fit with these disciples who are full of the Spirit, on fire for God, and unashamed? Because, I mean, there's a clear line in the sand in the New Testament of what it looks like when the Spirit of God comes on a person and how it changes the way they live. And the good news this morning is that I'm not saying, hey, you need to do this or do that or be this or be that. But what I'm saying is that the change agent is the Spirit of God. Jesus said, you will receive power when my Spirit comes on you. 
It's not about us putting our trust in us. It's about us putting our trust in saying, God, we're going to believe you to be who you said you are. We're going to believe you to do what you said you would do. And so God, we're here asking for power. And for those of you who have confessed Jesus as your Lord, asked him to forgive your sin, asked him to lead your life, I want to tell you, you have everything you need in you right now to unleash the gospel in the lives of those that you know. This isn't about you going and searching for it somewhere else. It's right here. And the Holy Spirit, I think, so often is like, hello, I'm here, let's do this thing. See, we put our trust in ourselves and we numb God's spirit when we just put our trust in comfort and safety and yet that's not God's call, right? Jesus said, follow me and then he died, <laughs> you know? Like, this is the person who we're following. He has holes in his hands, you know? This is not safety that we're rallying around. We're rallying around a life-saving message that may cost us everything, as students, we prayed, and I wrote a paper in my English class called Pulse as we prayed, and it launched a movement on our campus. You see, when we pray, God moves. When we pray, God gives us boldness and courage, and He unleashes us. And on our campus, we saw prayer groups launch and students trained, and I mean, it was like a revival on our campus, even in North Dakota, you know? It's like, God loves to use the foolish things of the world, North Dakota, God loves to use unschooled and ordinary North Dakota, right? I mean, he loves to use us right where we are. Man, we had 8,000 students impacted with the love of God. We saw 1,200 students give their lives to Christ on our campus. I'm telling you, listen, God is able. It's God. He can do it. Three points I want to give you this morning of application. Then we're going to go back to the text. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Number one, who in your life needs Jesus? Say who. Say who. Begins with taking an inventory. Second question, what? Say what. What are you going to do about it? And the third question, who is going with you? Now, let's look at these three points. Now, anything in life that is worth doing or needs to be done, you need to have awareness for. It's no different when it comes to people who need Jesus, right? So often for us in the church, we spend all of our time focused on us. We spend our time focused on people like us, people who think like us, people who act like us, people who dress like us, people who talk like us. We don't naturally spend our time thinking about those who are outside of this group. Like that sometimes is a, is a struggle or a trial or something that we're not in the discipline of doing. Of taking inventory is who in my life? I just want to say this. Every person in this room, God has people in your life that need Jesus. Every person in this room. And if you're not aware of who they are, you're not looking. Okay? There are people in your life that literally God has placed you strategically right where you are. Sitting at the desk you sit at. In the cubicle you work from. At the office place. In the neighborhood. That park that you take your kids to. There is a specific reason that God has placed you right there. Because there's people there that need to know about his son. Who in your life needs Jesus? The second question, what? What are you going to do about it? Knowing about it demands doing something about it. 
You see, we love not to think about it because if I don't think about the truth that people who don't know Jesus are not going to spend an eternity with God in heaven, if I cannot think about that, then I will not do anything about that. But if I face the reality that this is heaven and this is hell and there is one way to the Father and it is through Jesus and if I embrace the fact that this is not bad news or judgmental news as, as the culture around us would like us to believe but if we embrace the truth that this is the most liberating message in the history of humanity that it gives answers to every deep question and that we have the privilege of bringing this good news We say, who in my life needs Jesus? What am I going to do about it? It starts to put us in a place of action. Now, the first thing that I'm going to say, and this is what I began this with, the best thing that we can do is we take an inventory of people who need Jesus, and what are we going to do? The best thing we can do is pray. And if the only thing that comes out of this morning is that you begin a daily discipline of praying for people in your life that need Jesus and praying for opportunities, I'm telling you, God will use your life in ways that you've never known before. I have these cards outside both of the services, whether you're here or whether you're over in the other uh, service area, these cards are called Keep Five Alive cards. And it's just a simple tool we use to encourage people. Who are you praying for? Who in your life needs Jesus? What are you doing about it? Start with prayer. I think when we start with prayer, good things always happen. So I tell people, take these cards, and it's a sticker. Take a card, write down the names of people in your life that need Jesus. Put it in a place you'll see it every day. Pray for them every day. I tell people, hey, take it, write down the names. And as you can see here, I got it right on the inside of my Bible there, right? I tell people, hey, take it, put it in your Bible or put it on your fridge, whichever one you open more. (laughs) Right? Put it both places. Listen, I'm just saying we need to be praying. And the third question, who in your life needs Jesus? What are you going to do about it? Who's going with you? The good news is that we don't go alone. We're here as a church this morning, gathered together, saying none of us are perfect. None of us were intended to do this alone. The hope of the world does not rest on your shoulders or my shoulders. Thank God, because we would be in trouble, right? But yet God has called us to go together and to encourage one another. I get together every week on Wednesdays with a couple buddies of mine, Jay, who's here with me, and another guy, Chris. We meet every week for accountability and prayer, and we're talking to each other about, are we being bold? Are we being intentional? When we were students at NDSU, we'd ask each other, hey, how's it going with that girl in your econ class? And we'd get together and pray. We'd ask about it. And we'd know when I get to that prayer group, I'm going to be asked about what my conversations were like this week. And that triggers accountability and intentionality. So often, this discipline of reaching out isn't even on the list of things when we come into Christian community. And yet, that's really the reason for Christian community. Is that we would come together and embrace what we have and then give it away. Man, if we're only embracing it and celebrating it, like we're missing the best part. Let's go back to this passage here. Mark chapter 2. So these guys are coming and Jesus is there in Capernaum. It says, Jesus came home. So many gathered, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. It says, some men came bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them. There's four guys coming together. Now let's just pause there and say, anytime you see four men coming together for anything other than food or sports, you know God is moving. 
These four guys are coming together. And I don't know what's going on in their life, but I'm just imagining they're saying, who in our life needs Jesus. I don't know if they had been challenged with this. I don't know what kind of conviction had happened in their life, but for some reason they're thinking beyond just the four of them and saying, somebody in our life needs Jesus. Now, I don't know if they huddled together and said, okay, you got some friends, I got some friends, who can we team up towards to reach? And all of a sudden they say, let's go reach Larry. And I don't know, like Larry, the paralyzed guy? Yeah, Larry, I mean, what's he going to do to stop us? I mean, we'll take, he's paralyzed, you know, we carry, he can't say no. I don't know, I don't know what the discussion looked like. But I just imagine these four guys, who in their life needs Jesus? Larry. What are they going to do about it? They're going to do whatever it takes. So here we find in Mark 2, verse 2, they are coming, verse 3, carrying their friend. I don't know if you caught this, they are carrying their friend. Carrying, right? So can you imagine, like, in comes somebody walking, carrying a stretcher of their buddy. They really need Jesus. Like, what would we do? We'd be like, man, this is weird and cool all at the same time. Right? I mean, what kind of urgency? I think for so many of us, we have so many excuses of things that we won't do. And I don't even want to have a conversation. I don't even want to ask somebody if they want prayer. I don't want to post anything on my Facebook. I don't want to shove it down their throat. What are they going to think about me? I mean, I'm going to be that weird neighbor. I'm going to be that weird kid. Like, these guys are, they're carrying their friend. Like, physically carrying. I mean, he is on their shoulders. They're going, and this is the Middle East, right? This isn't Cleveland. I'm guessing they're sweaty, you know? They are going for it. They get to this place. Who in their life needs Jesus? Larry. What are they going to do about it? Whatever it takes. They get to the edge of the house where the meeting is, and there's no room. Now, if it's me at this point, I'm going to say, hey, we tried. <laughs> Let's go home, order pizza, watch ESPN. But these guys, again, four of them, who's going with them? They're in it together. I'm guessing some of them were like, let's give up. But some of them, again, because they're in it together, somebody's like, hey, I think we can get on the roof. They're like, can you get up on the roof? It's like, I th- yeah, I think it's a good idea. Okay, fine, let's try it. Now, how many of you guys know they did not have elevators in Jesus' day? Again, I mean, these guys, this is like crazy. I mean, I know it's just 12 verses. And in fact, we're just like in the first three verses. But they're carrying their friend up to the roof. They get up to the roof. I don't know what they imagined was going to be on the roof. But they get up there and it's all roof. Right? I mean, you get up there like, what are we doing here? It's roof. There's not a, there's not a skylight. Like, what do we do now? Right? I mean, a group of four guys, like, there's always at least one lazy one. The math is on our side. I mean, we could say three out of four are probably, and they're at this point of like, what do we know? We're going to have to carry them all the way back down. This is the dumbest idea ever. And I don't know who it is. Again, these guys are going together. But, I mean, isn't this the way it is amongst our friends and in our faith? Some days you're really on fire and some days you're really weak and and some days you're really in it and some days you're not. And yet, when we're together, we lift each other up. We say, hey, come on, man. Stay focused. We're not in this just to play games, man. Jesus is here. And these guys say, we got to do whatever it takes. One of the guys says, hey, I think we can dig through this roof. Imagine that moment right in the meeting. Imagine being Larry at this point. What? If I could leave, I would be gone right now. 
They say, I think we can dig through it. They make the agreement. We're going to dig. So here they are digging through the roof. Now, I don't know how thick the roof was. I don't know what kind of structure it was. Was it straw? Was it clay? Was it stone? Was it brick? I don't know. You could come up with different theories. I don't think there's any way we could be sure. All I know is it says they are digging. These guys are going for it. Now, I'm picturing Jesus inside. He's in there preaching. Standing room only. People are fired up. Now, how many of you guys know Jesus could bring it? Right, man, I don't, I don't ever imagine Jesus having an off day. You know what I mean? Like, his jokes just weren't funny today. You know what I mean? I, I just don't really imagine that. Like, Jesus, when he showed up, like, when he was intending to be funny, it was funny. When he was intending to be convicting, you know it was convicting. And here he is, right? I mean, he's in this moment, fired up, bringing this message... And I imagine like there's something different about Jesus this day. And like Peter and John, I see him in the front row and they're like listening, taking their notes like they always do. And they're like, man, something has gotten into Jesus. He is on fire this morning. And you're like, Nick, what are you doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but that feels right. They're into it. And they're just saying, come on. Come on, Jesus. But Jesus is bringing it and like, man, he's on fire. It feels like heaven's going to come down in this place. And then all of a sudden the roof starts to cave in. Heaven is coming down. Right? Imagine the person who they convinced. Hey, we'll host it at your house, we promise. No grape juice on the carpet. It'll be totally like we never came. Right? Now there's a hole in my roof. interesting things going on you say nick why would you say that jesus is all fired up i say this because we've already seen in this passage that jesus has the ability to know what people are thinking he's the son of god and i imagine him being fired up why you know he's always fired up because he's always he's always bringing the kingdom wherever he is but on this day i think he's even more fired up because he knows that two blocks down the road Four guys are carrying their friend to Jesus. And I think Jesus is getting fired up about it. You guys ever get to that point where like you're having a conversation, but you're having a thought in the back of your head? Anybody ever do that? Yes? Well, you know if you can do that, Jesus can do that too. He's preaching a message, and his mind's like, they're carrying him. Come on, baby! Carry him! Carry him! They get to the edge of the house and they're wondering, what do we do? Do we go home? Jesus, bring them on the roof. Bring them on the roof. Bring them on the roof. They're up on the roof saying, should we give in? Jesus is like, dig, baby, dig. You say, Nick, why would you say that? Listen, I want you to know, like, I don't want you to miss who Jesus is. Again, Jesus is the answer. He's the secret. It's Jesus. I want you to get this. Do you know that Jesus would have carried you? Do you know that there is no distance that Jesus would not have picked you up and taken you from? Do you know that it wouldn't have mattered if it was extreme hot or extreme cold? That he would have picked you up even if it was all him by himself. Do you know that he would have went to the roof for you? Do you know that he would have went through the roof for you? Do you know that he went to hell for you? That he went to the cross for you? Do you know that there was nothing more that Jesus could have given for you? He gave it all. He's like, this is my heart. Like, I love you this much. And here these guys are going all in, doing whatever it takes. And just like, come on. This is why we're here. We're not here to play it safe. 
not here to go home and watch sports. We're here to plow through some roofs. And these guys are digging, and the roof's caving in, and people are like, what the heck is going on? They got the people back. This is the coolest church service ever. I'm going to tell everybody, this is going to make the coolest Instagram. Right? And Jesus is here. The roof caves in. Larry gets lowered. Dust in the air. Everybody's like, what just happened? Did someone just get lowered through the ceiling? Four guys up on the roof, peering in, sweat dripping down their brows, looking over the rooftop, wondering, come on, Jesus. We did everything we could, Jesus. We need you. Jesus, we can't do what needs to be done now. We can bring our friend to you, but we can't save him. We can't heal him. Jesus, we need you. Jesus in this moment, I mean, like a proud papa, right? The roof's caved in. I mean, he's just like, man, those are my boys up there. They are not ashamed of me. They are willing to do anything. And it says again in this passage in Mark 2, and this just blows my mind. It says, Jesus, he looks at their faith and then he says to the paralytic, again, he looks at their faith. It reads like Jesus responds to the faith of these four friends. And because of their faith, he forgives the sin of their friend. Obviously, Jesus goes on and he heals the friend and a party ensues and people are going crazy. I mean, it's kind of like a Super Bowl in Cleveland, you know? It's exciting. Right? And they're just going after this thing. But again, I want to ask you this morning. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Who in your life needs Jesus? What are you going to do about it? And who is going with you? If you'll just focus on these three simple questions and put some plans in place in your life, I promise you that God will bring about fruit through you, through your family. What would it look like if your family came together and said, okay, family, who are our neighbors that need Jesus? What can we do about it? Well, I don't know, Mom. Let's maybe have them over for dinner, but don't make that tater tot thing. That is nasty. You know, but let's do that one. That's a good one, Mom. We'll even be praying it's good. Right? And then we'll bring them over, and, and we just want to love on that neighbor. You know, maybe it doesn't happen that time, but you know, it's a relationship. It's a process. What are we going to do about it? And who's going with us? We're in this together classmates say, man, who in our school is hurting and broken and alone and what are we going to do about it? I mean, are we just going to go through and graduate and then five years later wish we could have gone back to high school or wish I could be in junior high again so I could actually tell somebody about Jesus instead of living this double life and being embarrassed of God? Man, you only get one life. Live it all in grab these cards on your way out and start to pray and start to be intentional there's another card on your way out there's a big initiative we're working towards called reset see i believe we need revival in america 
And so the ministry I lead up, Pulse, is leading this charge. We're pulling together student groups and churches from all across the nation. And we're praying for a united campaign to pray that Jesus would turn our country back to him. And we're going to gather in Washington, D.C. We're going to have a Jesus march. It's not for politics. But we're coming together in humility saying, we've all fallen short. And we need Jesus to reset us again. We're praying for the largest Jesus gathering in America's history. Grab one of these, check it out, and join us. Right now as we close, I want to invite you to bow your heads. And we're just going to have a moment of prayer. There's two invitations I want to give you this morning. One invitation is for those of you that maybe came today and your relationship with God isn't right. And you know that. There is sin in your life that is unconfessed. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, you're saying, man, I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness today. I need a reset. If that's you... Right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to raise your hand right where you are, just so I can see you. And I want you to imagine, I'm not raising my hand to Nick. I'm raising it to God, saying, God, that's me. You can put your hand down. The second group this morning, maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I've been following Jesus, but I have not been doing whatever it takes And I need God's boldness to fill me up this morning because I want to be in the game with Jesus reaching those who are hurting. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. All across this place, if either one of those is you, I want you to stand up right where you are and a ton of people raise their hands. You're not going to be alone. You stand up. And we're just standing before God together. I want you to stand and I want you to put your hands in front of you. Imagining, you're just saying, God, this is my life. And if you're next to someone who's standing, maybe you're standing with someone else, I want you to stretch. Maybe you're, you're, if you want, you can even stretch your hand out to someone. If you're sitting, you can stretch your hand out on someone who's standing. We're going to pray for every one of these people. We're just going to pray, God, fill us up that we could be your people. you Jesus we need your boldness we need your power forgive us God for trusting in ourselves forgive us God for treasuring safety God and comfort more than needing you may our goal be obedience and God right now we think about those in our life who need you Who are they, God? We picture them. Brothers and sisters and moms and dads, God, neighbors and classmates, God. God, and we pray, Lord, God, that you would would use us, God. God, we're not okay just to let them pass by, God. We want them to know you, God. So God, use us, Lord. Give us intentionality, God. Give us boldness. Lord, surround us with others to go after this together.
All together, I want you to pray out loud with me. We're just going to pray a prayer of faith and confession, just turning to Jesus. I want you to pray out loud across this place. Say, dear God, I need you in my life. Forgive me for going my own way. Set me free from sin and fear. I put my trust in you, Jesus. You died for me. You rose from the grave. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. May my trust be in you alone. Thank you, God, that you are with me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. I got one more video to show you guys as we wrap this time. I'm going to invite Kevin to come up. I just want to encourage you guys, man, I've been so blessed being here. And I'm so excited about what God is going to do in your lives. I want you to pray for me. I'm praying for you. Let's go after this thing together, all right? All right, check this out, and then Kevin will be up. It goes on and on, you can't measure it Can't quench your love, they can't separate us From the love of God, there's no estimate My face looks the same, my frame never arranged But I'm changed, no promise ain't the same Your love's so deep, you suffered and took pain You died on the cross to give me a new name Ain't nothing like I seen before, I got a beam of glow I was low down and dirty, but you clean me, Lord You adopted me, you keep rocking me I'ma tell the world and ain't nobody stopping me Tell the world, tell I'ma tell it everywhere I go Tell the world, tell 